In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, amen. Usually, um, after the ninth hour, we do a, a short explanation of one of the aspects of the rites and rituals of, of, the, of the church during um, this time, um, a, as a way of uh, um, engaging us and helping us all to kind of engage in the, in the, in the service and in the prayers and so on. Um, so, I want to start off by sharing with you a little bit of why we've organized the church the way we've organized it. You may or may not have noticed that uh, the, the pews for the deacons here at the front have kind of been moved around um, a little bit. Um, in, uh, in, in churches that have like a, like a first choir uh, where the deacons usually stand and then after that the second choir where the, where the congregation stands and a third choir where the repentant um, uh, uh, and those who, uh, those who are in repentance or not in communion with the church stand, um, we don't use the first choir. So uh, the, the, the first choir where the deacons would usually stand, that area is left empty. And, the, and we all sit together in the second and third choirs. And the reason for that is because um, if you look in the book of Hebrews, you'll find that um, St. Paul is making a very, very close relationship and it's, it's so close we can't even say it's an analogy. It's almost, it's almost sacramental that the Lord Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Our, and in this case, he's talking about a sacrifice for sin. And he says here that we have an altar from which, this is Hebrews 13.10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of the animal whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, St. Paul is saying, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Let us go with him outside the camp and be with him. So this is, this is the theme of Holy Week. Like if you want to give Holy Week like a theme, a title, it's Jesus, I'm with you. Jesus, I'm with you. So Jesus, if you are outside the camp, I will be outside the camp. Jesus, if you are inside the camp, I'll come inside the camp. Jesus, if you are on the cross, I want to be with you on the cross. Jesus, if you are in Bethany, I want to be with you in Bethany. Jesus, if you're in Jerusalem, I want to be with you in Jerusalem. So this is uh, like a small thing about why we've rearranged the church to look the way that it does and why we sit in the way that we do because we're saying, Jesus, if you're outside the camp, I want to be outside the camp with you, right? Does that make sense to you? The Old Testament sacrifices for sin, they would, they would slaughter them in the temple, pour out their blood, but then they were taken outside Jerusalem and they were, and they were burned out, out there, right? And you'll notice that Jesus didn't spend the night in Jerusalem a single day during this week, except for the night which he didn't, he didn't really like sleep, which was Thursday to Friday night. He was on trial and so on and being betrayed all, all night, right? So 
he would go into Jerusalem and he would teach in the temple and so on, and then he would go back out and spend his nights in Bethany, like we heard in one of the Gospels. So as Jesus, as he was really the fulfillment of the sin sacrifice, and all that applied to the sacrifice for sin, Jesus fulfilled it in himself, we tell him, Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be with you. We don't want to leave you even for a single moment. And wherever you're going to be, we're going to be as well. And so that's why we have the church arranged in this way. That leads us very nicely into a few pointers about how to benefit the most as, po as much as possible from this week. This is like, this, this is the great harvest of spiritual life for the year. This is the great, greatest opportunity to reap as many spiritual blessings to take with you and carry them with you for the rest, for the rest of the year. So here's just a couple of things that you can try to do to help you to receive as much and gain as much as possible from this week. The first thing is that just like what we were talking about, this week is about Jesus and Jesus alone. This is a week that is not a week for work, not a week for you know home improvements, not a week for self-improvement, not a week for any of these other things. I have a bunch of things that are broken at home, the thermostat, the this, the that. I went to Home Depot, I bought all the stuff, right? And I'm so tempted, I'm so tempted to fix it. But once I start a 15-minute job, it's going to take me four hours. And the little bit of time that I had to myself is going to be gone. So you know what? The thermostat can wait. You know, the this can wait, the that can wait, it can wait. This week is about Jesus. I was sitting with people in confession the last several days and, and we were examining ourselves and we were searching ourselves out and we were saying, why do I do, do these sins and why do I this and why do, the, do I that? Those are very good questions to ask. But forgive me, not during Holy Week. Holy Week is not about self-improvement, nor is it about self-examination. If you need to confess, yes, please come and confess. But don't turn the whole week into what about me and how about me and how can I be better? And no, it's not about that. This week is about Jesus. We're all here for Jesus. We're here to accompany Jesus. On Thursday, Jesus is going to look at his disciples and he's going to tell them, you couldn't stay awake with me even for one hour. We want to tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to stay awake with you. Jesus, I'm going to stay with you. I'm not going to leave you. Jesus, I know all of your disciples except John, they left you. Jesus, I'm not going to abandon you this week. Every minute, I'm going to follow in your footsteps. Jesus today said, He who serves me, my Father will honor. And where I am, there my servant will be also. This is like the biggest honor, the biggest honor of the servants of God, that they get to be where Jesus is. So let us follow in Jesus' footsteps. Let us not allow ourselves to get distracted by anything. The church doesn't want us to get distracted to the point that if somebody dies during this week, God forbid, may it be far away from you and all your loved ones, we don't pray a special funeral for them. We bring the casket in, the, the person who has reposed, their, their bodily remains anyways, pray the Pascha service with them, we pray the litany of the departed for them, and then we go bury them. That's it. We don't pray an extra, we don't do any extra services. Someone asked me if they can have an engagement. No. Can you pray a wedding? No. Can we pray, uh, 
One million and one people asked me for, for unctions of the sick in the, last, in the last two, three days of Holy Lent. I promise you, I, I was delighted. I'm delighted to pray them. I, 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 we prayed, I prayed as many of them as I could. And then some people said, well, could you do it during Holy Week? No, no, because this week is about Jesus only. The church forbids us to do anything. It's not forbidden. It's all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things edify. This week is about Jesus. It's not about any of these other, any of these other things. The church sees these things. Forgive me. I know the word may sound a little bit harsh as a distraction. And this is, and we're gonna. This is gonna be one of the one of the talks in our. Uh, in our series that we're going to do throughout Holy Week is going to be about the justice of God, right? And how can we read these prophecies and how can we see them? And some of them, the words seem a little bit harsh, a little bit strong. How can we, how can we kind of read those in light of, of God as we know Him? So with that, let us launch into our, 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 our introduction for our series for this week. Our series for this whole week is going to be called Delight Yourself in the Lord, inspired from Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. But we're not going to spend too much effort and time on the desires of your heart part, because we all agreed already that this week is about Jesus. So we're going to focus more on the delight yourself in the Lord. I'm going to say one word about the that He will give you the desires of your heart, just so that we have mentioned it uh, for completeness sake. Um, uh, St. Augustine says something really nice about that. He says, please be very careful to distinguish between the desires of your heart and the desires of your flesh, because they're not the same. Your heart longs for the Lord. Your heart, the heart of man, the heart of humankind, God created it, for union with 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 the with the creator himself god created us for himself saint augustine also says elsewhere that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you the heart that god is talking about here is 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 the heart that wants god and god alone the god that says this job that job i don't care the, that says that says this person to marry that person to marry i don't care i want to marry jesus Jesus. I'm not looking for someone with these parameters. I'm not looking for a job with these parameters, a house with these parameters, like this, like that. I want Jesus. The most important thing for me is Jesus. The most important thing for me, that's the heart that God created us with. That's the desire of the, of, of the human heart. You know, oftentimes when we mess up, you know, uh, I messed up a hymn and I forgot a part of it uh, and Peter will smile at me and I'll smile back at him and I'll shrug and I'll say I'm only human, right? Or I mess something up at work and I'll say I'm only human. Forgive me, this understanding of humanity as some kind of depraved, broken, fallen, forgetful, uh, ruined state is not our orthodox understanding of humanity. We understand humanity to be how God created Adam and Eve. That's before the fall. That's what it means to be human. 
to be an, in the image and likeness of God. What is in the desire of the heart of the person who is fully restored in the image and likeness of God? St. Augustine tells us these, these are the desires of the heart of man, capital M, or humankind. These are the desires, these are the desires that naturally come in the person who delights themselves in the Lord. When I delight myself in the Lord, all of a sudden my desires become aligned. All of a sudden I want the things that God wants for me. So I have no reason, no rational, normal person would ever believe or understand or think that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is not going to give you what he wants for you that you want for yourself. Right? Now the issue is that what St. James says is that you lust and you do not get because you lust after your own desires. And desire, when it has brought, come, become fully grown, brings forth sin and when sin, a temptation sin and then death. Right? Like St. James teaches us. So, enough said about the desires, uh, 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 the desires of the heart. Let us now launch into this beautiful journey together called Delight Yourself in the Lord. I want to make you a promise that I'm not going to take some kind of hyper-emotional, um, you know, some kind of hyper-emotional trajectory. I want us to try to be rational. I want us to try to... to to um, say things that appeal, yes, to our spirits and to our hearts and to our emotions, but also to our minds. So I'll promise you that we're going we're gonna to look at this Savior and we're going to examine Him. You know, on, on, on the, the morning of Great Friday, late, late Thursday into Great Friday, Pilate examines Jesus and then he comes out. This is not part of the uh, rubrics of the liturgical rites, like the explanation of the liturgical rites of the church. But I heard it as a contemplation from a priest, another priest, holy man, and I thought it was very beautiful. One day he, and during the liturgy, I think I was still a deacon, he came out after washing his hands during the creed and he wrung them before the congregation. And he said, what does that remind you of? Of Pilate. Pilate examined Jesus and he said, this man is innocent. He didn't find anything wrong in him. It's our turn today to do as Pilate did, to examine this man, Jesus. Examine the God-man, Jesus. Let us examine him. Let, let us be rational together. Is he worthy that we should delight in him? Some people say yes. King David says in the Psalms, in the Psalms, he says, yes, my meditation is on him shall be sweet and I will be glad in the Lord or I will delight in the Lord. It's the same Hebrew word as used in, the, in, Psalm, in, in Psalm 37 for the word delight. That's in Psalm 104. But Job says in Job 34, Elihu, it's actually Elihu who's saying about Job, says, Job has said, it does not profit a man anything that he should delight himself in God. Like the part before it says, Elihu is saying, Job has suffered so much. Job has been scourged with a scourge that no one has ever seen. However he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should delight himself in God. Wow, 
this or that? What do you think? Let us let us examine let us examine God and see. Because we're going to read many things in the prophecies about wars and floods and genocide and floods and earthquakes. We're going to read all of this stuff in the prophecies this week. Is this a God that we can delight in or not? How can we understand these things so that we can delight in Him more, not less for all of these things? Richard Dawkins, a, a very uh, prolific and well, uh, well-spoken uh, atheist, says this about God. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That's what he says. That's what he says about the God of the Old Testament. Marcion, who lived in the first and beginning of the second century, rejected God of the Old Testament. He just didn't believe in him. And he believed that if he even existed, the God of the New Testament must have killed him or overcome him. The father of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ could not possibly be the God of the Old Testament. His doctrines were rejected and he failed to repent and he was excommunicated. That's Bishop Marcion. Elihu says about Job, is this a God, does it profit us anything to delight in him? Is there anything in it? to delight in Him. The people in Malachi's time, they said something similar. It is useless to serve God. What profit is it, uh, uh, is it that we have kept His ordinances? Let me read that to you again. It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance? What profit is there to obey this God? It's useless. Hmm. All of this is in the Bible. What can, we, what can we make of these things? I'm going to tell you the secret, and maybe you've heard me speak about this before, so if you have, I, I, forgive, me for, forgive me for this, but honestly, there's no, there's no other answer. The, answer. the answer to all of these questions, as we're going to see, is revealed in seeing God as the God of grace. God is a God of grace. What does this word mean that we use all the time? Grace is favor or a special kindness bestowed upon someone who doesn't deserve it or hasn't earned it. Grace is special favor, special kindness bestowed upon someone who doesn't deserve it or hasn't earned it. Basically, trying to earn God's grace is like trying to plan your own surprise birthday party. It's a contradiction in terms, right? It just it doesn't work that way, right? It can't be a surprise if you're the one who's planning it. You can't surprise yourself, right? Grace is the most attractive feature in God's character. His love, His mercy, all of them, all of them can be explained, but His grace is just unimaginable. His grace is just beyond our understanding. 
And nothing is as hollow as graceless religion. Nothing is as hollow as graceless religion. And Jesus didn't preach against anything more than he preached against graceless religion and graceless religious leaders. There's nothing, there's nothing that bothers God more because it's a shell with no substance. The, sub the substance, not theologically the substance of God, right? The substance of God is God theologically, but the, like, the essence of God is, the fathers use the word essence as well to refer to his substance, but you know what I mean, okay? Right? Is his goodness, is that he is good. That's why we say that God is good. Like, I remember when I first met some uh, people of different Christian denominations don't greet each other by saying hello. They greet each other by saying one person says God is good and the other person replies back all the time. And the person, the first person says all the time and the second person says God is good. So it would go something like this. God is good and you would reply and I would say all the time and you would reply back. Why good? So I started questioning why good? Why not great? God is great. When we use the word great, we're referring, we're referring to the unknowability of God, the immenseness of God, the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God, the, the um, immeasurable, uh, uncomprehensible. That's what God is great. But God is good is not, is not beyond the scope of understanding is not beyond the, the, your, your vision. God is good because He has been good to me. He has been good to me in this, and 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 in all of these things. God has been good to me. Good is specific, is, is limited, not limited in the number of things that it can be, but is that like, God is good that when I really didn't deserve it, He helped me to get this job, or He helped me to whatever, or, or whatever it, it may be, uh, whatever the gifts of God, the free gifts of God, unearned, undeserved gifts of God are in your life. Only about Jesus has it ever been said that he is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. It says about Jesus in John 1. And no one has personified grace as much as Jesus. And that's why if we're going to spend a week looking and examining and thinking and, 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 and observing meticulously only one thing and it is Jesus, I pray that we would come out of it seeing that he is a gracious God that he is full, full of grace and truth. That doesn't mean that there was no grace in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to look at grace in the Old Testament in creation. We're going to look at grace in the Old Testament in God's justice, such as in the flood and various other, uh, various other things. We're going to look at God's, God as a gracious God very much actually in the Old Testament throughout this week. But grace is something which is understood and experienced in relationship. Grace is a funny thing. Grace acknowledges the full implications of sin without condemnation. Grace doesn't say, no, 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 you didn't do anything wrong. Grace says, 
you did something wrong, but that's okay. Go and sin no more. Exactly like Jesus did with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The perfectly balanced phrase, full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't cancel her sin. He didn't say, no, 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 no. Those people are really mean. They were really cruel. No, you didn't sin. Yeah, you're a good woman. No, he didn't say that. He didn't lie. He acknowledged the full implication of sin, but he also did it without a single shred of condemnation. And that's why we see, we understand, we experience grace in relationship. Grace is a relational thing. And so that's why it's so easy for us to understand and to experience God's grace in a relationship with God. Let us see if during this week we can see God as a gracious God, especially a God as we see Him in the Old Testament. Let us see if we can say with St. Peter in chapter 1 of his first epistle, whom having not yet seen you love, in whom though now you do not see Him, yet believing you will rejoice with unspeakable joy full of glory. You haven't seen Him yet, but you love Him. And you rejoice with unspeakable joy, full of glory. Let us see if that can be said of us. Let us see if by the end of this week, we can say with the writer of the Song of Solomon in chapter 2, verse 3, As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Let us see if we can take great delight in this God for all of who He is, not selectively, just the, the, the pictures and the snapshots of, of, this, of, of who God is that I like and leave the rest. No, let us see if we can experience the fullness of Him. Let us see if we can say to ourselves, Delight yourself, O my soul, in the Lord. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me. Please pray for me.